Well, good morning, and I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, but as we approach this brand new year, I want to actually talk about a persevering faith, having a persevering faith. Not just faith, but how many know in this world we live in, you need more than just faith, you need a persevering faith. I'd say we've all experienced things in our lives that we started out with a gusto. We started out with enthusiasm, but somewhere along the way, it fizzled. Anybody relate to that? Well, my wife Googled some things that we start, but we don't finish, and when that list came up, it was endless. So I just want to pick out a few of the main ones. How about diets? How about diets? Some of you are laughing already because you know you started it and you haven't finished it. Amen? You committed to it, but you didn't stick to it. How about workout plans? How many have been watching an infomercial late at night and you see all this exercise equipment going on? You say, well, wait a minute. i got to start my workout plan in the morning. Then what happens? Taco Bell commercial comes on TV. You say, well, I'll just put that off till next week. Maybe with you, you started med school, didn't finish it. You started college, didn't finish it. Maybe you started a job, you didn't finish it. Maybe you started running a marathon and you didn't finish it. I was surprised to find out that most marathon runners, if they're going to quit, usually quit about mile 18 for some reason. They don't know really why, and I'll say, hey, that's a no-brainer. Your body finally wises up and say, this is stupid, amen? This is crazy. This wasn't meant to be. They say the key in training for a marathon, though, is to run 13 miles in one direction without taking any money with you or a cell phone, amen? Then you know you got to go all the way back. You'll complete the marathon, Amen. Maybe it's reading a book. How many have started a book, and it may have been years since you started it, you never finished it? Maybe I've got some writers in the house today. You started writing a book, you never finished it. Maybe it's getting all the way through that mini-series called Lost, and most of us, we know what happens at the end of the season. You're just wishing everybody would die, right? But So this would get over with. I said all that to say the same is true in our faith walk. We start a whole lot of things spiritually in our lives that we never end up finishing. Maybe you have a resolve, especially going into this new year, to read the Bible through in a year. Or maybe to memorize more scripture. Or maybe you've decided that you're going to develop a prayer life or you're going to have a more sincere prayer life. And I'm not talking about just a gimme, gimme, gimme God type prayers. I'm talking about really worshipful, God-centered prayers. Maybe this year you've determined you're going to give up on a destructive or sinful habit that you have in your life. Maybe you've decided this year you're going to start to be more generous than you've ever been before, looking for needs along the way, giving to those needs. Or maybe you're the guy or the gal who has resolved to only start dating Christian uh, guys or gals. The truth is, oil and water don't mix, but maybe in your loneliness... You started wavering, and you didn't wait for God to bring the perfect guy or the perfect gal. So today, I want to talk about not only having faith, but I want to talk about a faith that perseveres, no matter what difficulties you're in. And it's a faith that not only makes a commitment, but sticks to the commitment. You know, it's not the commitment that counts with God, it's the follow-through. Do you realize that? God can listen to our words all day long, He's only watching for the follow-through. Are you going to... Make it happen. Are you going to be faithful to see it happen? In Matthew chapter 14, we have a rather infamous story. You've all heard about it. It's about a guy who faltered in his faith named Peter. We've all, pretty much all of us, I'm sure, have heard of Peter. And don't we love Peter? 
I love Peter because I find myself in Peter's life over and over. You probably find yourself in Peter's life over and over. He was outspoken at times. That can be good. That can be bad. Amen? He was often impulsive. A lot of times he acted without thinking. Anybody know anybody like that in the house? Don't point. Amen? Peter wasn't his real name. Do you realize that was the name that Jesus gave him that actually meant Petros or rock. That word rock means someone who is rock steady, strong, and unchanging. Simon was his actual name, and Simon was everything but a rock. He acted in ways that, let's just say, were inappropriate, inappropriate uh, for Christians. I like to think of uh, Peter as a guy, as two different people trapped in one body. Kind of like us at times. You might say, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about when that someone cuts you off in traffic and you go all ballistic on them, amen? You go all MMA on them. Uh, you start yelling, you start cussing, you start waving that one finger, you're number one. Uh, then you realize you've got that Christian bumper sticker on your car. <laughs> and it's a little bit embarrassing. Well, let's just say that was Peter at times, okay? Right before Jesus' crucifixion, Peter says to Jesus, I'll never deny you, Jesus, even if everybody else does. That was the Peter part of him. Yet that same night, what's he do? He denies Christ three times. That was the Simon part of him uh, coming out. Peter in Acts chapter 2, he's the first one to declare that the Gentiles are included in God's gospel or in his plan. Um, that's the Peter part of him. But later he refuses to eat with the Gentiles because he's worried and upset about what the Jews will actually say or think. That's Simon. So let me just say this. Peter has a faith side to him, and he has a fear side to him. He has a faith side to him and a fear side to him. It's kind of like when I go to Dairy Queen and I order a hot fudge sundae. The ice cream is cold, the hot fudge is hot, but they make up one sundae. Let's just say Peter was kind of like that. He had a hot side and he had a cold side. Not much in the middle but, uh, for Peter. You've never heard of Peter associated with the Dairy Queen Sunday before in your life, amen? You probably won't forget it either. But I said all that to say, really, when you break it down, I think we're all a little bit like that. We want to be this one type of person of faith. We want to be this person that has a persona of being strong and faithful and steady in our faith. But then our flesh seems to be fighting us at every turn. So today I want to talk about a faith that perseveres. I want to start in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And keep in mind, this is right after Jesus has done an amazing miracle. He has just fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Five loaves and two fish. Listen to what it says in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, beaten by the waves because the wind was against it. Well, we kind of gloss over that first part uh, of that story. We go right to the waves beating against the boat, but we forget what happened first. Do you realize if you go back to the beginning, it was Jesus that sent his disciples right into a storm? Have you ever heard the line, the safest place to be is in the will of God? Have you ever heard that line? Well, it sounds nice, it sounds good, but it's not always true. It makes us think that if we live this life that's uh, uh, nice and easy and a, a walk through the rose garden, 
that we're doing everything right. But if you're out of God's will, then we think we're, God's going to allow everything to come cra- crashing down around us. Go back to the scripture I just read. This scripture actually tells us that Jesus commanded them. He gave them an order to get in the boat and go ahead of him, and they ended up in a storm. What's that tell you? And it tells me that, hey, when we get into the storms that we encounter in life, and guess what? Don't mean to bust your bubble, but there are going to be storms along the way. Uh, we're going to get into storms. We don't need to automatically assume that we're out of the will of God. I would argue that many storms are part of God's will because it's not just about what God wants to do with you. It's what God wants to do in you. Did you catch that? It's what God wants to do in you, and sometimes that's never going to happen. That lesson is never going to be learned until God allows the storm to come into our life. We don't like to hear it, but it's a fact. I've learned some of my greatest lessons by some of the biggest storms I've ever been through in my life. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Paul says this, And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Paul understood that these things he's referring to are actually part of the will of God for his life. So whenever you and I make a decision in faith and things get hard and they don't work out, don't give up. Don't even be surprised because I think what God is doing with that whole storm is causing us to trust him like we've never trusted him before. He's allowing this difficulty to come into our lives so that we'll turn to him instead of everything else. Look what it says uh, in verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, which means about 4 a.m., which means that they had been battling this storm for maybe like six hours. And from what I get from this, Jesus didn't come to them immediately, but let them wrestle or battle with that storm almost all night long before he came walking to them. It says, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. I want to stop here and talk about this for just a minute. He doesn't come immediately, which a lot of us would think he should. Then when he does come, he comes strolling by at a distance that is so close that he can be seen, so close that he can be heard, and it must have been pretty close if you've got the wind and the waves and the lightning and the thunder, but they can still hear and see Jesus. But does he come and jump right in the boat and say, hey, boys, don't worry, I've got this, I've come to save you? No. Mark chapter 6, verse 48. It's actually a parallel account of the same story. This was added in uh, Mark's account. He meant to pass them by. I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's what Jesus meant to do? He meant to pass them by. These guys are struggling for their lives, and Jesus actually comes by and basically is saying, hey, boys, I'll see you on the other other side doesn't even seem to make sense. But I'm going to say maybe, just maybe, Jesus is trying to teach them something more important that they need to learn about having a persevering faith that doesn't give up and quit when times get hard. I believe he's asking them or showing them how to have that kind of faith. Today I want to look at what I believe God is going to bring out in this uh, message about some ideas from this text. The first one, if you're taking notes, is Stop the mental chatter in your mind when you're going through a difficult time, when you're going through a storm. Stop the mental chatter. When the disciples first see Jesus coming, they think it's a ghost. They spent the whole night battling this storm. They all think they're going to drown, and then a ghost shows up. 
Things went from bad to worse, right? Or if you're from BG, they went from bad to worse, sir. Amen? Some of you didn't catch that. I'm a Villa Grovi. I can say that. But have you ever noticed that sometimes, really, in reality, we make things a lot bigger in our minds than they really, really are? They see a figure walking on uh, the water toward them, and they automatically assume that it's a ghost. Isn't that like how we are a lot of times? I looked this up. It's called catastrophic thinking. Catastrophic thinking. We automatically take our minds to the worst-case worst scenario. We build these things up in our minds that are a whole lot worse than they really turn out to be. We've all done it. I remember several years ago, it was uh, late one night, and Cheryl and I were asleep in bed, and I got uh, awakened by some high-pitched sound. It was this eerie sound, and I sat up in bed, and I listened again, and I heard it again. Then I heard it again. Something was right outside of our window, and I nudged Cheryl. I said, I think there's a coyote sitting right outside of our window. I said, did you hear that? She goes, I didn't hear it. I said, there it is again. Did you hear that? She goes, I didn't hear it. I said, there it is again. Did you hear that? Pretty soon she looks at me. She said, Dwayne, that's not a coyote outside our window. That's your nose whistling. (laughs) And it was. (laughs) (laughs) Got to tell on myself sometimes. It was my nose whistling, and I turned it into a coyote outside of our window. Amen? Studies show that 60 to 70% of all of our mental chatter in our minds is negative. You realize that? We make things a whole lot worse than they really are. But even in those situations, how do we handle them? I'll give you one word, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. That's how we handle any uh, trouble in our lives. But it's not just about speaking his word. It's about actually knowing him. Not just knowing about him, but actually knowing him personally to actually know him for real. A lot of people say they know Jesus. But really, knowing him for real is a whole different story, and sometimes it takes these storms to make it happen. Amen? You know how they train federal agents to uh, recognize counterfeit money? They lock a whole bunch of uh, federal agents into a room, and they give them a big pile of real money to count for all week long. And sometime during the week, they'll slip in a couple counterfeit bills. And after a week of counting the real money... Nine times out of ten, these guys are going to spot a counterfeit bill, uh, not because they're so familiar with counterfeit money, but because they're so familiar with the real thing. They're familiar with the genuine bill, and they know the difference. That's how we need to be with Jesus. We need to be familiar with the genuine Jesus, amen? We need to be familiar with who he really is, so that when fearful situations come up in our lives, we, number one, know that he's with us, number two, know that he, he loves us. And number two, we believe in his word that says he's not a man that he should lie and he's going to take us through anything that our enemy is going to try to throw at us and that we can have total peace and rest in our mind and heart because we know that no matter what battle I'm going through, God's got my back. Amen? Isn't that a comfort if you've been through a battle to know God's got my back? He's got my side and my right my left and my front, but he's got my back. Amen? He's got everything covered. Jesus realizes back to this storm that these disciples are not crying out in faith. They're crying out in fear, which is really no faith at all. But what does Jesus do? He answers them anyway. I love that about Jesus. He answers them anyway, even though they're crying out in fear. What's that tell you? That we have a compassionate Father. We have a compassionate Father that loves us, that's with us, no matter what's going on in our lives. I love Psalm 50, verse 15, that says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, he says, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. That's my God. That's our God this morning. 
Back to the story, Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Did you notice in this whole story, Jesus just doesn't immediately show up and fix their problem by calming the storm. No, he shows up and he gives Peter something else to do. He gives him another command, come. So let me just say this. If you're going through a hard time in your life, a difficult situation in your life, maybe we should stop asking God to fix our problem. And maybe we should start asking him to direct our problem. Amen? To guide us through our situation. That's point number two. Point number two, if you're taking notes, dodging the distractions. Second part of verse 29. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus But when he saw the wind, and everybody say that with me, saw the wind. Let's say it again, saw the wind. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So Peter ends up leaving the boat, stepping out of the boat when he realizes it's Jesus and not a ghost. And for a little while, picture this, he's walking on the water. He's defying gravity, amen? He's defying nature, He's walking on the water doing the impossible, but but the second Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and focused it on the storm, all that mental chatter started coming up, amen? And what happened? He started sinking. He started going down. Peter gets distracted by the obvious stuff, just like we do every day. He got distracted by the lightning, the thunder, the wind, and the waves. Those things were distracting, I believe, Peter from experiencing the miracle that God wanted to do in his life. They were distracting Peter from being a part of an incredible miracle that Jesus wanted to do in his life. No, there's no doubt there's a real storm that was uh, all around Peter at the moment. But the thing that he did wrong was he took his focus and he shifted it from his real source of power and he started concentrating on everything that was going on or going bad around him, on his circumstances. He was doing well until he became more concerned with the wind than he was with the Word of God. That's the way it works every time. We get concerned about our circumstance more than the will and the Word of God. Guess what's going to happen? Blub, 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 blub. But we're going to start sinking. We're going down. But then again, I think, what an example he is for us to follow. God didn't put these stories in there uh, just random. He knew we'd need this. He knew we would need this story to realize that when the storms hit us, problems hit us, catch us off balance. If we don't keep our eyes on him, we're going down. We're going to start sinking. When our problems that we face distract us from Jesus, they actually get our eyes off of the greater power and on the lesser power. Maybe John in 1 John said it best in John chapter 4, 4, said the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The truth is, every time we take our eyes off of Jesus, the source of our power, we're going to sink in this life. We're going to be beneath our circumstances. And I'll just have to put this in there. Not all distractions are bad. They aren't. And I don't know if you're like me, but I get invited to join a lot of good causes out there, a lot of good things out there. They're not problems, but they do demand time and attention. But how often when we get asked to do something, do we step back and evaluate uh, things spiritually and say, well, is this part of the will of God for me? Is this uh, uh, part of the will for my family? Is this good for my family? Is this going to make an eternal difference in someone else's life? Sometimes I think you got to step back because the enemy can use those things against us too to get us so distracted that we won't really see the truth. I have to admit this, I'm a people pleaser. 
I've always been a people pleaser. I hate to tell people no, but I have found out in 20 years of ministry, there are times when you just have to say no. Amen? Years ago, when I first started into ministry, my pastor, Mike Van Britson from uh, Belleville, he told me, you can't be a people pleaser and please God. You can't please God and man at the same time. It's not possible. They might even be good projects. They might even be good causes. They might even be noble endeavors. But guess what? They can distract you. They can distract you from the mission and the plan that God has and wants you to be focused on in your life. I heard this saying, if the devil can't make you bad, then he's going to make you busy. Amen? If he can't make you bad, he's going to make you busy. We can get distracted even by good stuff as well as bad stuff. So I'll just say we don't need to get busy doing good things. We need to get busy doing God things. Amen? Not just good things, but God things. So if you have a persevering faith or want to have a persevering faith, we need to make sure that faith is not diminished by all the distractions around us. And everyone knows we get distracted every day. Me as a pastor, I get distracted from the moment I get up in the morning. The enemy would like to get me off on some rabbit trail somewhere going in the opposite direction of what God wants me to do. So if I know he does that with me, he does it with you. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand. Right there, let me stop. Isn't it good to know that when you're in trouble and that when you're sinking, Jesus is always close enough to grab your hand? He's right there. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Maybe you've wondered, why is this story in the Bible in the first place? I can guarantee you one reason it's not in there is to teach you how to walk on water, okay? That's not the key. That's not what he's trying to do. I think if Paul, when he was shipwrecked, uh, would have uh, thought, well, I, can, I don't have to worry about this wind and storm. I'll just get out of the boat and walk to shore. Paul didn't do that, amen? So he's not trying to teach us to walk on water. But when he says, Jesus says to Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He's not talking about the intensity of Peter's faith. He's talking about the duration of Peter's faith. He's talking about the, the uh, perseverance of uh, Peter's faith. So you've got to give Peter some credit. Do you realize out of 12, he's the only one that got out of the boat, had the courage to get out of the boat? Evidently, he had a strong faith for a little while. It just didn't last long enough. His first step of faith wasn't enough. He needed a persevering faith just like we need a persevering faith to step every step of the journey that God takes us on. And it's not always going to be a bed of roses, but God is calling us to keep trusting in Him, keep our eyes upon Him. Here's the thing, the fact that we've come through maybe a mountain of disasters, maybe some real severe testing in our lives doesn't mean there's a greater testing around the corner. Guess what? We don't know what's around the corner, right? That's why what I'm talking about today is so important. It's about perseverance. It's about having a persevering faith that doesn't give up just when things don't go right, when things start getting hard. You might wonder why God allows these trials in our lives to happen here on this earth. I pick up something from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. He said that there are no shortcuts to maturity. It takes years for a child to grow to adulthood. And he says the development of a Christ-like character can't be rushed either. Spiritual growth, like physical growth, takes time. Paul, in his letter to the Christians in Philippi, said to the Philippians in chapter uh, 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? The Jesus that started a good work in you, he's the one that's going to carry it on. 
But guess what? We have to cooperate. We have to have faith and trust in Him. And He promises right there that He'll carry it on until the day of Christ Jesus. So no worries if you look at that text in faith. I'd say getting to the end of your life and feeling like you've walked on water at different times in your life has been because of a lifetime of faithful small steps. Not big giant steps. God's not asking, he might ask that, but usually he's asking us to take those little bitty steps without giving up and quitting. And I think when you break this whole story down of walking on water, it's telling us that our voyage across this lake of life is going to have storms. That's just reality. That's reality. We just have to keep our eyes upon Jesus. I want to close with this. If you go back to verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. The fourth watch represents the hopelessness and the helplessness that we all feel at different times in our lives. Think about these disciples. It had to be a scary time out there on this stormy sea. By the fourth watch, they had to have been exhausted. I mean, they had been battling this storm for over six hours. Their prayers had to be exhausted. I would imagine they started praying the minute the storm hit. And what I want to tell you today is we all have a fourth watch in our lives. And some of you might be in that fourth watch right now. Those are the times of despair right before Jesus comes to us. And just so it doesn't catch you off guard, maybe when you call out to him, just like in this story, he's not going to be there immediately. He's going to let you fight some waves. He's going to let you battle with some struggles for just a little while. So if you're in a fourth watch of your life today, whatever it might be, and if you're not right now, you will be. I want to help restore your faith in Jesus Christ today because fear is looking at God through your circumstances. But faith is looking at your circumstance through God. And do you realize that God wants us to be walking above our circumstances, not under our circumstances? And I know we all feel alone at times. We feel abandoned. But just because you feel abandoned and the world seems dark around you and God isn't answering your prayers, Sometimes I see God's unanswered and delayed prayers as part of his plan, as a big part of his plan. So if you've got some problems distracting your life, let me tell you the greater one that's here, that's greater than your fears, your problems, your worries, your struggles, is here right now, and his name is Jesus. And he's here to be with you through it all. Spiritually, I believe there's a fourth watch covering over our world today. I believe we can see it every day on the news, politically. Morally, economically, spiritually. This world is dark, and when I look at it, it seems to be getting darker. And as a Christian believer, what are we supposed to do? Wait for the dawn of a new day. Waiting for the dawn. How many have ever been out in the woods camping? And right before the sun comes up in the morning, I always notice something started happening. The birds started chirping. The birds started singing even before the sun came up. What was that? That was a sign that the sun was about to rise. We're in the fourth watch of our world, I believe. In all those ways I just mentioned, things are getting dark. Things are getting cold. I've never seen hatred like it is in our world today. I think we're hearing the signs and the sound of the sun getting ready to rise, but it's not the S-U-N. It's the S-O-N. This will get about to rise into our world to come back and make everything right that has been made wrong. The sun is about to rise. Are you ready? Are you looking for his appearing? 
Or you like the disciples on the boat that saw the wind and the waves, and then when they did see something walking to them, they first thought it was a ghost. Or are you looking for Jesus? I don't know about you, but I have to tell myself, even being a pastor, when I watch it, this, watch the, this the craziness in our world, God, this has got to be in your plan. That there is a sun, S-O-N, that is about to rise. It's about, about to take everything that we've messed up and make it all right, right again. But it depends on you and me, our faith. And it's not just to keep our faith or light hidden under a bushel. It's to tell the world around us. Don't you get in despair either because there's a God that loves me. There's a God that loves you just as much. We need to be a witness to this world in dark times. I believe Jesus is about to come. I know you've been saying, well, they've been saying that for years. And they have. But I can honestly say each moment that I live, it's closer to Jesus' return. Amen? But I'm not even making excuses there. I believe he's getting close. I believe he is coming soon. So if you're battling a storm today, guess what? Jesus knew where those disciples were the whole time. He knows where you're at the whole time. He knows what storms you're facing. And he's there holding out his hand. Will you take his hand this morning? Could you rise your feet? Could you take his hand this morning and trust him that Jesus is coming to rescue and to save? All we have to do is take his hand. I'm going to ask you as we prepare to go into this new year for you to pray this prayer with me one line at a time. Lord, I'm feeling helpless right now. You know my storm. You see me toiling and rowing. You know my confusion and my questions. Please help me to hold tight until you come through. Help me to have this persevering faith. Even in this fourth, fourth watch of the night for me, Help me to remove the negative mental chatter in my mind. Help me to dodge the distractions that try to hinder my faith. Help me to be patient. Help me to be hopeful. Help me to be trusting and faithful. In Jesus' name. Still with every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want you to start this new year without knowing this Savior that I've been talking about this morning, without knowing this Savior that we have just celebrated during the Christmas season. I don't want anyone to walk out of here without at least me telling you that there's a Savior that loves you, that there is a Savior that walks on water for you, that there is a Savior that takes us by the hand when we feel like we're sinking. And if you don't know this Savior, I'm going to ask you right now, just where you're at, every head bowed, every eye closed, just slip up your hand right where you're at. If you don't know Jesus and you want to invite him into your heart right now, I wonder if there'd be one person in this whole building that would say, I need you, Jesus. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. And I want us all to pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I open my heart. I hear you knocking. And I open my heart to you. And I invite you to come in to be the Lord of my life, to forgive me of my sins, to be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, I thank you for this Sunday. I thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity of a new year, Lord God.
I thank you, Lord, as we enter into this uh, new year coming on Tuesday. I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ, that we would have this persevering faith. That, Father God, we would be relentless in our faith and our trust in you and reaching out to the world around us. We give you praise and glory for awesome days ahead in this brand new year that you've given us the chance to celebrate. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a happy new year.